What's up, guys? Welcome to the Walk Show podcast, where we explore the walk of life. This is your host, Walker Near. The music for today's show is provided by Misha Zarin, so many thanks to Misha. I strongly encourage people to check out their local food bank to see how they can help, as food banks like the Ozarks Food Harvest here in my town are helping families overcome food insecurity, which is a problem we need to solve. You can follow me on social media like Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at The Walk Show or The Walk Show Pod. All of those links are available in the show notes. This week, we are joined by Sebastian Shug who's illustrated multiple books, starting at the age of 14, while also publishing and being involved with a wide variety of projects. Sebastian has an incredible volume of high-quality artwork, which you can see at his website, SebastianRShug.com. In our chat, Sebastian delves into his personal story, along with his insights into how he approaches his drawing and what inspires him. I really had a lot of fun with this conversation, so let's get over to it. Welcome to the Walk Show podcast, Sebastian Shug. Thank you so much for joining. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> yeah, man, for sure. Uh, yeah, I was so excited. So I, you know, there's a, a group and, a, and it's also a website, um, Podit. And I, I just always like to shout them out if they're if they helped facilitate a, a meeting, which they did here. Uh, but I'd put out a request to see if you know if some if we could get some folks interested in coming on the show. And you reached out to me, and I was so excited uh, because I. I I might insult another guest if I don't remember, but I don't think I've had someone that's really, for lack of a better term, just an artist um, <laughs> on on the show. Um, your your body of work is is pretty significant. Um, and to be clear, you know, not that that's the only reason I wanted to have you. The, the the art and stuff that I saw that you have is I think is really cool too. Not just the volume of it, but the quality of it's also you know exceptional. Um, thank so, you. Thank you so much. Yeah, so you you kind of describe yourself as a an author, uh, a narrator. Yeah, yeah, it's sort of a jack of all trades. Um, I guess if you want to put that under like a blanket umbrella term, it would be a multimedia publisher. Uh, though I didn't always start off as being such; it just kind of expanded naturally and artistically into other ventures. But uh, yeah, that's how I operate now. Yeah, so so in I mean it, it's it's hard to convey just with words and I'll have a link to your, your, your blog um, that has just all of the different work that you've been involved with, whether it's your own or, or contributing with other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll have a, a link to that so people can go see it, which I highly recommend they do. Cause I will not be able to do it justice <laughs> trying to describe <laughs> it. Um, but, but so how, how long have you been doing this? I mean, it's been close to a, to a decade that you've been writing and creating. Yeah. Stuff it's it's definitely been it's been a journey definitely and you know originally uh, i guess when you say decade that would include time spent informally or non-professionally doing art which is for lack of a better word the majority of what i have been doing (laughs) it wasn't until sophomore year of high school when i was brought on as an official an officially published contracted children's illustrator from there it expanded Um, You know, I know you probably don't see a lot of people age 15 who get illustrator contracts in high school. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And from there, it actually that's where it expanded into, you know, like authorial work, excuse me, where Mm -hmm. I would write my own stories, add illustrations to those, narrate those on the sides. And it just kept growing from from book to audio book to podcast to eventually music and uh, I will say as a preface, unfortunately, I don't know how this is going to uh, relate into the overall tone of this episode, but <laughs> that has come to a close. So to preface, at the end of 2020, at the end of 2020, primarily due to COVID, as I feel a lot of small business owners have been experiencing, uh, yeah. Sebastian Shug Publishing has unfortunately, um, it's not bankrupt it's not being sued it's not you know coming under fire or any kind of legal flack um right. it's essentially going through rebranding um mm. of course i'm not going to be stopping but you know with the whole volatility of it all it was sort of a move i had to make not just for myself but for the betterment of the people who unfortunately i no longer represent as a publisher because uh, financially speaking, those returns, those royalties, they couldn't be paid 
And that's simply because books weren't being sold at the rate that they wanted to. And mm. that's, it's just kind of the name of the game and the unfortunate aspect of business. So, yeah. Well, yeah, I'm sorry to hear that. Um, no, I, I mean, mean, it happens. It, it, these things are, they're very, they're very, they're very malleable and they could be expendable. And I think at the end of the day, if you happen to have that in your heart of, oh, I'm a creative person and I can still do this regardless of the issue, mm-hmm. you know, rebranding is, it, it's nothing. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. I mean, that's awesome to hear that you have that, that, that take on it. And, um, I mean, <laughs> the most cliche thing, you know, the only constant is change kind of thing, but it, it really is true. Um, and so to, to be able to embrace the change, even if it's one that's unpleasant or one that maybe mm-hmm. you weren't, you know, planning on, <laughs> um, and, and find a way forward is, I guess it's the only way the world it's one it's one of those things where it's like you take a step backward to take two steps forward and sure i've had many experiences in my life about that so it's just one of those it's one of those times and you know the road smooths out past all the bumps right so like you said earlier you know it is pretty rare at least and i'm not you know it's not like i've met everyone in the world or something but i would say it sounds pretty rare that a 15 year old kid is getting a you know contract of professional work um to illustrate for for a book how did you kind of how did you find yourself in that position i mean were you were you <laughs> doing amateur art contests or something like how did you discover you know uh, essentially it was i took a big risk Uh, And this is something that doesn't sound big when I first spell it out, but you got to understand different teachers operate their classrooms in different ways. So Mm. my teacher at the time, my algebra two teacher, and I remember this like it was yesterday, had a strict rule against drawing in class. Mm. And there I was drawing in class. So, you know, it's like in the movies or the cartoons, when when you see the shadow over you, you're like, "Uh, here we go. I'm in trouble. Uh, She looks at my work. Uh, Obviously, she asks what I'm doing, and I don't have an answer for her. I'm just sort of stumbling. And she says, you know, Sebastian, this is really this is really good. And I'm like, oh, uh, thanks. I didn't think much (laughs) of it until she says, you know, I know someone who is in the market to illustrate a children's book, but has no illustrator. Again, didn't think much of it because at the time, you know, I feel like as an artist, it doesn't matter how old you are. Commission work will always be commission work. So here I am thinking that this is just going to be a one-of-one exchange, you know? Mm-hmm. I met the individual who wrote the children's book. I illustrated the first book, worked out all the kinks, and one bur- and one book turned to five. It turned into a series. I'm like, okay. After that, he asked me if I wanted to do another one. And slowly but surely... After round about three, four years of working on this series, it expanded into 30 books. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, each one uh, progressively getting better artistically than the last, naturally. But um, yeah, it's, it's an opportunity that I, I, it wouldn't, I wouldn't be here without it. I'll say that. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, clearly... Uh you know, you're, you're passionate about, at least at that point in time, drawing. Um, yeah. And, and I still am to a degree. Yeah. Well, so, I, and you'll, you'll have to forgive me. I, I the, the way I am on this, I just kind of jump all over the place. So I don't mean to, to be confusing. <laughs> no worries. No worries um, but so, yeah, with regard to your, I, I am, I am not an artist in any way. I mean, I guess if you want to call podcasting <laughs> some form of creativity fair, but oh, of course, no, I, it, it definitely is. And please don't short short staff yourself in that statement by any means, because I've heard some tremendously awesome podcasts and also some that were uh, abstract. You could say <laughs> it's very all, generous. It's all art as <laughs> is my statement. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and really what I meant, I wasn't really trying to be self-deprecating as much as just to say that <laughs> I can't draw a stick figure. You know what I mean? Like, oh, okay. All right. Like I can't, I can't draw or, or any, and I don't play music. I don't paint. I, you know, all of that stuff is, is very uncomfortable for me, I guess you could say. And, and is not something that ever felt natural at all. Mm. Um, either way, my, my question was just going to be, 
do you find that you have, I mean, is drawing your preferred art style or do you, do you draw just by hand? Are you doing computer art stuff? Are you painting? Like where does, where does that kind of go for you as far as just how you create visual G- art? Generally it's a mixture of both. Uh, I will say that I definitely prefer digitized art. Um, you know, mm-hmm. Adobe Photoshop and Illustrator are my two big digital programs that I use. In the beginning, of course, I started with traditional art, going through high school, learning the basics of Adobe. At the time, it was just Photoshop, so fanboys take note or whatever, I guess, (laughs) or one or the other. (laughs) Right. Uh, That's when I got a feel for it. That's when I started to implement it. And when it came down to actually illustrating for books, that was the method that I had to go with. Mm. And so this is a completely ignorant question, but... even when you're using like are you drawing with your hand still like with a stylus onto a tablet or yeah so i've used many a tablets in my day a lot of them have since been broken which goes to show the amount of use it's been it's been had but (laughs) uh, yeah you typically use it with a a stylus and a tablet okay okay because yeah i i mean i i can't draw with a, a pen or a pencil but i also I'm not able to create lines with a mouse, so <laughs> I didn't know how that works. It's generally not preferred to draw with a mouse. I've okay. seen people do it. Right. It's it's insane, but I'm not going <laughs> to get into that. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, so I guess when it comes to the creative process of, of creating a, a piece of visual art, um, I'm, you know, I, again, I, I have friends that are, are writers and I've interviewed several authors. And so I, I've at least had the opportunity to discuss the, the writing process that people have. And, and obviously it's still that there's nuance and variance to that. It's not like there's one way, mm-hmm. but a lot of, a lot of writers that I'll talk to whenever they write a, you know, a book or something, it, it, it's not as if they sat down and had the book in their head and then just typed it all out. And now it's done. Typically it's like, maybe they had an idea of characters they wanted to explore. Maybe they had an idea of where it starts and where it ends. Right. But there's this kind of creative process throughout the, the, this journey of writing where they discover things that they're going to now include in the story. Is it similar to that at all in drawing or, or are you sitting down and you see the image that you want in your mind or do you kind of have a discovery through the work? Does, does that make sense as a question? That's, no, that's, that's a great question. And in, all of my guest appearances on the multitude of podcasts I've been on, I've never been asked this. So this is actually <laughs> kind of a fresh thought. No, no, really, because cool. you would assume that similar to writing, there is an outline in your head that dictates what you want to see written or visually implemented on the page. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, when it comes to something like drawing, we all make mistakes. We're human. So whether or not, the image i'll put it to you this way whether or not the image comes out exactly how you want it to or doesn't nine times out of ten it's going to be nuanced in some way nine times out of ten that one brush stroke that you thought was innocuous suddenly changes the whole picture and Mm -hmm. i've had times where you know yeah like the idea was good in my head it doesn't look good on paper the colors don't match up the composition is all out of whack. I don't see this potentially representing anything that I've done literary by any stretch of the imagination. Even if it's just a personal piece, it's like, wow, that turned out a lot differently than I thought it would. <laughs> and it's, mm-hmm. it's not something that's like demeaning right. or it's not something that you feel like you wasted your time on doing because obviously you created something and that's great. But yeah, I will say it is kind of a, shot to the nads when it doesn't represent one of one what you intended and Mm. i i think my advice for that would be to not set your expectations so high because it's like you just said you may surprise yourself yeah well like i have a friend who's got a a master's degree in, in poetry and and he's talked to me about how there's instances where he has you know maybe he's done some free writing and so he has an idea for what what the theme of the poem is. And so then he selects a form to now try and and fit that into. Mm -hmm. But then in doing that, now he has to change the language and the words. And through changing those words, 
sometimes stumbles into an entirely new theme for the, you know, for the work. And, and, and maybe that doesn't mean that the original theme doesn't still get done separately, but it, it's almost kind of what you're describing. It's like, well, now this is a whole new direction to go with this that wasn't really an, anticipated. Um, I, I just find the creative process so fascinating because, you know, in, in the, and I'm not like a STEM person either or something. I, I'm not an engineer or anything, but right in that kind of way where you're in the, the more mathematical creation of things, <laughs> um, it, it's, you know, if you're going to build a house, there's not a lot of surprises, right? Like you don't put up drywall and then you're like, you know what? Let's redo the whole layout. Right. You know, right, it, it right. doesn't work that way. And so I think for people who aren't, who aren't involved in a creative process like that, it can be hard to understand how, how that process of discovery works. Cause that's not innate in all, all, all creation. Right. Right. No, exactly. And it's just, it's something that is so unpredictable in nature that, you know, there comes a time as an artist where you just have to say, I accept it, whatever it is, because, <laughs> well, no, really, you know, for yeah. all, because it's, it's something that, is never going to turn out the way that you wanted it to. And I think a lot of artists have trouble coming to terms with that mm. where the proof is going to be in the pudding that mistakes were made. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a lot of artists would rather shove that under the rug and, and come off as, oh, this product that I've made is so, you know, it, it's perfect in their own subjective opinion it's perfect and it's the way that I wanted to showcase it. Mm. That is still not going to deter audience members or fans to pick it apart and be like, well, it's really not, and here's why. And <laughs> the, I guess the, um, the ego gets very shattered in that case. Mm. And while some artists, you know, sometimes that's their death knell, personally, I... I love that because at the end of the day, art is something that should also humanize you and, mm. and be like, well, you know, even though I made this work that I was really passionate about, it's still not perfect. I can see why it's not perfect because there's a bunch of people, there's a bunch of people in agreement as to why this is not the rating that is, that I initially deserved it. And, and you move on and you make better, you make more pieces, you know, and you make better pieces, hopefully. Yeah, well, and to some extent, I mean, do you think it's true that, that you, you kind of have to, at some point, say that you're finished with the thing yeah. so that you can observe those imperfections so that you can then grow and get better? Whereas if you never finished it, you also kind of deny yourself the opportunity to really grow because you're never admitting that, <laughs> that, it, right. that it's not, not done yet. Over and over, right? as, much as, as much as people would would rather jump to one project to the next to the next to the next if they happen to find that the project that they were previously working on didn't turn out the way that they wanted it to. Mm -hmm. I always reference myself back to the statement that art is never finished. It's just abandoned. Uh, that <laughs> is a that is a paraphrasing quote borrowed from, I cannot remember the name off the top of my head, but um, film, movies in general, as we know them, uh, are never finished. They're abandoned. I just took it to have a more general definition because in my personal case, there have been instances where I've finished a series or I finished a, a book or a music piece or an audio book. And, you know, it's all published. It's being sold. And without the external, um, uh, what's the uh, feedback without the external feedback from my audience, I've had the inclination to be like, you know, what if I've delved more into this? Mm -hmm. I've I've separated myself from the idea that, oh, I should have done more while I was working on it and have morphed it into, now that it's out there, here's what I can do more with it. I don't mm -hmm. look at it as, I messed up, let me try again. I I look at it more so as, I may have messed up, but here's something else that I can make to expand upon it. Mm. Yep. You know? 
Yeah, no, that's awesome. And, and yeah, it's it. it uh, the reason I kind of chuckled when you first said it is because I I heard a similar sentiment one time from uh, I'm a, a big fan of the band Tool, and uh, their drummer Danny Carey one time said that you at some point have to just accept how much you suck right now <laughs> and just be okay with that, you know, because yeah. you're growing, right? You're always getting better. Like you said, you started by drawing for another author, and then you've created your own stuff from where you have done the writing and the drawing. What is your, I don't even know if preference is the right word, but maybe what do you find yourself more energized by? Do you like owning the entire creation of the whole work, or do you like being able to focus just on one aspect of it or another? Since expanding, I will say that I've, well, let me put it to you this way. Ever since Sebastian Shug Publishing went underground, for lack of a better word, because of COVID, of the financial situation, it's been very hard to get back into the thrill of what made me enjoy publishing, mm. um, you know, in general. And that's that's kind of sad. But I will say that what interested me the most about going to my published works, looking at my bookshelf and seeing what was for sale or hell going on to the many one of the many distribution channels that I that I had for my books was seeing all of my cover art that I've done over the years whether it was drawn you know graphically designed utilizing like royalty free images putting it together into sort of a hodgepodge and mm -hmm. seeing what came out of it it really it reignited the fire of why I got into publishing which was graphic design that was mm -hmm. that was the genesis period of it so lately it has been graphic design it has been illustration because now i don't have the pressure of this picture doesn't have to associate with the book you know mm -hmm. what i mean it doesn't right. have to serve a greater purpose so i'm very thankful for for graphic design and doing this that it's it's rekindled my hobby not my occupation Right. I guess to answer your question, it, it would be illustration, simple drawing. Now I've had the pleasure of illustrating for my own uh, album covers, which is as someone who tried music before, failed miserably and decided <laughs> to restart again. It feels a lot better to restart again with the knowledge that I have under my belt and the know how to to express music visually in this way. Right. Well, so th that's that's actually another question I was going to ask you is, you know, obviously we're talking about visual art pretty specifically here, but mm -hmm. do you find that your art is inspired by other mediums like like something like music, for example? Does, does something that's not visual inspire something visual, if that makes sense? Very much so. Very much so. Alternative and uh, I guess uh, lo-fi are the genres that I typically associate not only my personal character with, but with my art, because it's very, it's very soft. My art is very, uh, what's the word? I, there's a specific style that, that attributes itself to it. The, the two things off the top of my head I can think of are old school Mickey Mouse cartoons and mm. uh, Fallout. So I'm sort of trying to attribute a distinctive style to it. But when you see you know, like long black oval eyes, um, smooth movements, contrasting colors, bright colors. You know, it's something out of a, something out of like a 1940s cartoon. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's, you, you bring up the old cartoons like that and it, it's, it, I'm, so I'm 37, so I'm a, a bit older than you are. Um, and, uh, 
I, when I grew up, you know, Looney Tunes and, and that kind of stuff was still on the air. And, and now all of that's largely not because uh, I, I think people think it's too violent. Um, <laughs> I find kind of amusing because, like, I never thought Yosemite Sam was, like, actually representative of, like, a real person or, like, a real way right. to solve problems, you know? Mm-hmm. So I never thought when Tom and Jerry smash each other with a mallet that that's, like, how I'm supposed to overcome something. But whatever. Um but but something I the reason I'm, I, that I'm thinking about this is because of the, the music connection. I just didn't until I got went back as an adult and watched some of those Looney Tunes cartoons. I didn't realize how integral music was to the entire experience. You know, like oh yeah, it's and and well, and it's called tunes is not T O O N S. It's T U N E S. Right? It, it's music. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's. I mean, it's sort of a misnomer when you look at it and you're like, well, we're not here to listen to music when we watch this cartoon we're here to see animals kick the crap out of each other <laughs> right and i mean for lack of a better word that's what you're getting but right hmm. but uh but yeah no it's i i didn't even realize that <laughs> yeah it's, it's i did not even realize that till now yeah it's i mean it shapes the entire like a lot of the comedy is really delivered in combination of with you know the animation and the expressions and stuff that the characters are making but also the sounds of the music that's playing with it. And, and it's not even a dialogue based joke. It's, it's all conveyed through the, the music and the drawing. Anyway, I don't right. need to go on and on about Looney Tunes. Um, <laughs> but so that is an interesting, another thing that interests me though, is being younger, you know, you referenced already, you know, Mickey mouse and, and, and those kind of things that are, are certainly well before either of our time. Uh, do you find that you have a pretty healthy, um, I don't want to say respect, I guess, but do you, I guess, do you find yourself looking at older things? Like, do you, like, I grew up on Calvin and Hobbes. Like I loved Calvin and Hobbes. Is that oh, something that's in your wheelhouse? Yeah. Or, okay. Oh yeah. That you're, you're definitely speaking to me about that. <laughs> you're speaking <laughs> to someone who has watched, not watched, uh, read rather, um, mm-hmm. pretty much all the books that were published. Uh, mm-hmm. I say watched though, because I remember I saw a video on YouTube where someone actually expanded into it and uh basically made an alternative calvin and hobbes where you know naturally calvin grows up and and you know hobbes stays the same as a stuffed tiger um basically it's a it's a story about calvin susie because they actually get together mm. and they have a uh, they have a small daughter who discovers hobbes so if you haven't seen it the and this is by no means a plug i just I, I love sure. the online webcomic. Uh, it's called Hobbs and Bacon. Hmm. So give it a read. It's it's very it's very tongue in cheek, and I just I love it. I I think Bill Watterson has has said that it's canon, but I'm not. I, don't, I can go into the semantics of it all day. I love Calvin and Hobbes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's yeah. I mean, I, I I I had to drive six hours to for family trips and stuff as a kid, and that was what occupied my time was was reading Calvin and Hobbes books. Um, so I definitely, whenever I saw, even though you're not, at least I, in looking at your work, it's not like I think of you as a comic strip writer or something, but, um, I, there's a, I I guess maybe because it's children, like some of the stuff you've done is children's books. And like, there's one piece of art I saw you had that reminded me of like a Mega Man two style, you know, cover (laughs) art or something. You probably know what I'm talking about. Oh Um, my God. Yeah. That is a, yeah. Silent Rob. I know it well. Uh, that was actually a, a fan project of a, of a YouTuber that I I still occasionally watch here and there. Um, it was basically just a fan project just to say how much that I loved his channel and thank you for the content over the years. And unfortunately, that was one of the books that ended up getting canned because, you know, all the all the books ended up being unpublished. Um, I, I think I'm making too big a deal out of this as it really is because none of it's deleted. I still have all the files. It's just not available for sale. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't mean to make a mountain out of a molehill, but um, that was explicitly based off of Mega Man Two. So yeah, good eye. Yeah, 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 for sure. Well, and it just so it, even though so it just kind of connected me back to my childhood, and and which then I immediately connected to Calvin and Hobbes because that's you know again my favorite thing from back then. So have you have you ever dabbled in comic strip writing at all, or is that that not? Really? I have. Yeah. No, I've actually I've been a uh, I was like the official comic book artist for my high school newspaper. Now oh, cool. I say official because the high school newspaper that. 
the high school that I went to had this great idea to bring me aboard as the official cartoonist unpaid of course so i didn't realize how <laughs> how badly i was getting screwed but you know to right. a to a 15 16 year old kid you you take a shot at anything right and you know it only lasted two comic strips but you know damn it those two comic strips were the <laughs> only two in my high school's history so i i look at that as a pretty big accomplishment and now yeah. uh, i guess in the way how it's evolved since publishing i actually intern at uh, two online publications, one in the Santa Clarita Valley and another one in uh, New York, both mm. of which are remote, but those are graphic design slash uh, cartoonist positions. Awesome. Well, that's really cool then. Um, so, I, yeah, I guess I don't really know. I mean, obviously print newspapers still exist, but where does the comic strip really thrive? Like in, in these ventures you're in, where, how are they? Is it web comics? I guess more more so. Or web comics are typically the go to for the content creator, mm. whereas it, it's just something that um, you know it's easy to convey. The UI, the user interface, is generally friendly, and some people have found success in doing web comics. Uh, I can name a few off the top of my head, like, you know, well, I guess Homestuck is probably one of the biggest fan bases on the internet as it is, mm -hmm. as it's spawned from the webcomic. But have I considered it? Uh, <laughs> I've considered <laughs> it. Have I attempted it? Uh, no, uh, for the sake of that it is a, a huge time commitment. Right. Maybe I'm just sort of like an old head or I'm just sort of a classic type of person, but... I consider like some of the best shots still like to go for in the, in the cartoonist spectrum would be to actually submit comics to a newspaper. Maybe mm. it's just the whole thought of having something physical in your hands. <laughs> yeah. That intrigues me. But uh, you know, I, the internet is very abstract as it is. And I feel like uploading a web comic, well, uploading a web comic and uploading a web comic that you actually get paid for are two separate discussions. But <laughs> uploading a web comic, generally speaking, you know, it's no different than uploading any picture online. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't mean to 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 bash content creators who happen to do so. It's sure. just um, it's just kind of how I stand on it. Maybe I'll look into it. You might have ignited something in me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think that you know, I think that the what the internet does is it, it provides obviously a place where now way more people can participate. Right. Right. But right. then that also creates the problem of obscurity. So um, someone could be creating something that's truly awesome. And if 10 people know about it, then it, 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 it's not, it's not carrying the same weight culturally or in society as Calvin and Hobbes, where, uh, you know, millions of people every Sunday are looking at these giant spreads, you know, the, where it's the, the, the picture of them sledding down the hill or whatever. And it's this beautifully drawn thing. Mm -hmm. And, but you know, the audience is a lot more, um, I don't even know what word to use focused, I guess you could say, because it's yeah. in the that everyone has. So well, it, it's one of those things where, where Bill Watterson did the opposite. And I think it's how a lot of people did it back then, like Charles Schultz, where they would, you know, it was originally like something like Peanuts or Calvin and Hobbes was found traditionally in the local newspaper. Mm. It wasn't until either after their passing, I think Bill Watterson's still alive. I know I Charles. So. I know Charles Schultz isn't. Yeah, was when they um, was when whoever decided to collect all the comic strip strips and put it into a book for the sake of brevity or convenience, and you know that that's a smart thing to do because now you have a complete archive. Right. So, um, I mean, it's, it would be, I guess to me, a, a web comic would be something like more of an informal publication. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, like I said, unless you would find a way to, to market it, to actually make a sustainable income off of it, which I feel is what a lot of people are trying to do, then you may have to work at it for a little bit. And that's totally understandable. Yeah. Well, with a comic, I mean, you know, it's, it's not just, um, it's also not just a picture, right? You're also, if there's, if it's supposed to be funny, like now you've got to understand how to write something funny, 
maybe demonstrate that through the through the drawing. But that's a different skill set than just being able to to create an image that you that you are proud of or, or you know feel connected to. Um, so it just invites in a lot of other you know, skill sets, I guess, beyond just just drawing. Mm-hmm. Right. Um. So I, I'm just kind of again I, not being an artist myself and not talking to to people that are <laughs> that are visual artists like yourself that often. Again, maybe a random seeming question, but I mean, do you like, are you intrigued by like art museums? Do you, do you like to just go look at, at art that's not necessarily the same style of art that you're doing, but that does that kind of stuff trigger or, or, or not really? Art, real? art museums to me, and I may be in the minority when I say this, uh, you know, I, I can understand its appeal. Hmm. Then again, I can also understand the, uh, connoisseurs if you will that frequent art museums and i guess without naming any names but also kind of poking fun at them and taking pot shots at them i understand why people have a sudden fascination or inclination in the arts okay Mm -hmm. it's because it's very in the moment it's very pop culturally it's representative of the times and i feel that as a as a human race, we need to express it creatively. That is what I, I can totally understand that. It's when people preach and proselytize uh, specific artistic movements that, you know, I look at this and I look at it being something that is nonconformist, something that is edgy in nature, something that is uh, postmodern, if you will. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's, the whole fox and the grapes thing where I just, I don't like it cause I don't understand it, but I don't like it cause I don't understand it. And the right. argument that, you know, well, you don't need to understand art for it to be art. That's fine. I can, I can even understand that argument, but how do you expect people to be drawn into it if you don't understand it? Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting. You know what I mean, how do you expect to analyze, intellectualize, and conceptualize it further if what you're looking at you can't even comprehend it? You know, maybe the person that you're going with can, and that's the whole subjectivity of art that I can grasp is that it's not for everyone, and that's just the way it is. But I guess if you're asking me subjectively, you know, if I'm invited hell i'll go to an art gallery i'll go to many mm-hmm. and i'll understand the eras of which these pieces came from but am i going home attempting to recreate it and build upon it no because to tell you the truth i feel like a lot of people are already doing that right yeah no and, and to be clear i wasn't i, I wasn't really trying to get you to like objectively state like you know <laughs> this is the one way as much as just trying to get in your head of, of yeah. you're a person that creates these kinds of things. So are you drawn to everything that's in that space? And, and you know, obviously the answer is, is no, it's not just this blanket everything yeah. that art I'm now obsessed with or, or something. Which yeah, so I, guess, cool. I guess part of my language, but not everything in an art gallery is crappy, you know? Sure. It's definitely not the exhibits that I find fault with. I think my argument of my stance stems from the fact that the people in art galleries, <laughs> they're yeah. a different, they are a different type of person. Mm-hmm. And I don't know whether or not it's sort of just the whole art snobbiness of it all. I don't know if it's the fact that we, or that I happen to live in a major metropolitan area where these uh, personas frequent, but it's, it's, uh, it's a it's very, pretentious. it's a very touchy. Yeah. It's a very touchy, pretentious subject that rubs some people the wrong way, but you don't know who it rubs the wrong way until you actually state your opinion on the matter. <laughs> That's uh, what I'm going to say. Right. Well, I, I, uh, I'm from Springfield, Missouri. So from nowhere town, USA, basically. And, <laughs> uh, so I have not had those types of experiences and I'm sure I would just be offensive if, which I also would not care about because that, that's not new for me either. Um, oh, we're, oh, we're going to get along great then. <laughs> um, so, uh, again, probably not a uniform, you know, one size fits all answer to this. But when you're working on an illustration for, say, a, a children's book, um, mm-hmm. how how long is 
that process of, of creation. And, and again, I'm kind of thinking where I'm coming from. And my thought is, you know, I know writers that they might, they might be working on something for a very long time. And maybe they're working on multiple things for a long time, as opposed to like, Hey, I'm going to sit down and three months from now, a book, you know, is done, start to finish. It might be something that's years. Is that applicable to drawing in the same way? Or are you, is there things that are long-term kind of touch and go, or, or is it more of a focused produce it, it's done, produce it, it's done, if that makes sense. I, I will say that I considerably have less work to do because as an illustrator, my job is not to write the story. My job mm-hmm. is simply to illustrate it. In the beginning, when it was the first children's book that I illustrated, like I said, we had to work out a lot of the kinks. Mm-hmm. We had to work out a lot of files being sent back and forth because this is the image that we want. This is the image, well, this is the image that I want because it was written by one person. And this is the image that I, me, drew. Right. Once we got the general image out of the way, and once we uh, worked out the nuances of how the, the the family looked, so to speak, because it was a it was a family book. It was a book about a family, a son, and his dog. Mm-hmm. Then we started experimenting with different locale. For instance, one book they go to Hawaii. Mm-hmm. So I started experimenting with the fact that, okay, how do people dress in Hawaii? It's considerably hotter than people who dress in Los Angeles. Yeah. Although, actually, I probably shouldn't say that. It gets just as hot here. I digress. <laughs> we'll go with Wisconsin. <laughs> well, there we go. And that morphed into things – that morphed into the overall design of characters more so. I started experimenting more with clothing and different – facial expressions determinant of how the character is feeling in that moment. A good example of this was a book explicitly about the main character, this young boy named Daniel, uh, who got sick. So in every single one of the pages, he looked awful. He looked Mm -hmm. miserable because he was sick. Right. And that wasn't something that I conveyed in book one, because in book one, it was the introduction. He was all happy, smiling. It's for kids. Yay. In this book, this kid wants to die. (laughs) This kid has the worst illness of his life. And I had to, well, not, not, you know, literally speaking, but I had to, I had to draw that to emphasize that. And if it wasn't for that experimentation, if it wasn't for working out all the bugs and, and working out what worked and what didn't, then I thoroughly believe that I wouldn't have had the capacity to do that because, I mean, I didn't know what a sick kid looked like. And I had to do a lot of research on that because I'm not a parent. Right. Well, I don't know how parents would react to their kids getting sick. And even though this seems like just sort of a cut and dry answer, through illustration, I learned I learned how relationships worked, familiar relationships, and that's something I never would have expected. Uh, to dial it back on the Calvin and Hobbes point, I think that was one of the prime examples of, of what depicted that for me growing up, and I'm thankful to have learned that. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's really interesting. Um, it it, it, it it's interesting because so I had the, a conversation with an author a few months ago on the show and and she talked about how she the the, the book she had written was about like um, these women that that moved to a, a I can't think of the word now like a community farm basically where it, a, a, a commune of people take care of the farm or whatever anyway she doesn't know anything about farming so she had to really in, investigate and learn all this stuff about farming. And what it made me think of was, you know, I hear actors talk often about how something that fascinates them about their work and I feature film actors I'm referring to more so um, is that they have to learn about the, the character that they're going to portray. And so it's fun because they get to for six months become, you know, if it's a boxing movie, they get to become a boxer or a cop movie, they get to become a cop or whatever. And so they kind of dive in and learn all this stuff. And I had never thought about it being something coming out that, that a writer also does. And so it's really fascinating to hear you talk about it also coming out of illustration, um, which I guess perhaps just shows that, that really if you're trying to create something that's outside of your own personal experience, ultimately it's going to kind of produce that outcome, right? Where you're, you're learning and expanding your horizons 
Yeah, the the general artistic acquisition, I guess, is it's very ubiquitous because you start to realize how different facets work together. And in the beginning, when I said that you know a multimedia publisher is something that I, you know, coin as an umbrella term, mm-hmm. you know, it's really the truth because it it doesn't lump me into a particular group that only focuses on one aspect, and I think in lieu of recent affairs, it definitely helps establish me as something other than what I was known for previously. Mm. You know, when it came down to it, Sebastian Shug Publishing, my independent publishing company, it was, for all intents and purposes, a book publisher. Mm. Now, it's something that I can attribute as being uh, an an individualized record label, an individualized audiobook producer. Mm. Uh, hell a sort of a video publishing company i guess i mean i've published a lot of i published a lot of content both on you know youtube and amazon and and things like that in the past short films narrations Hmm. like visual audiobooks rather and it's all been attributed to sebastian shug publishing and you know hell if we want to date this even further when this episode eventually goes goes on air (laughs) Um, my registration date for my LLC for Sebastian Shug Publishing uh, was today. Oh, wow. So it's something that I'm continuously growing and, and expanding. And I, yeah, no, it's it's been a journey. It really has. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Sebastian, I really appreciate you taking the time, like I said at the beginning of the show, to, to reach out to me, first of all, to, to connect with me and, and coming on the show. Um, I'm completely fascinated by your work and your process and, and just how all of this goes. Um, and it, it's just, uh, it, I know, I know for you, it's your life. <laughs> so it, it just is, it's normal, but, uh, it's a unique walk of life that you, uh, that you bring to the table, man. So I, I really appreciate you sharing that. Like I said, I'll have links in the show notes, um, for people to click on so they can go directly to your work. But, uh, do you have anywhere that you'd like to direct people to, you know, whether while they're listening here, if they want to check out your work or, or anything like that? Sure. I mean, outside of the link that um, that you stated, my professional portfolio is uh, SebastianRShug.com. Uh, it's my name, my middle initial, my last name.com. Other than that, feel free to check out my YouTube channel. It is Seabass, that's S-E-A-B-A-S-S, uh, spelled exactly like the fish. It's quickly grown in, I, I want to say, modest popularity. I'm not here to toot my own horn or anything, but it's just kind of another testament to another avenue of which I've surprisingly grown. And it's something I never would have experienced uh, breaking past 1,000 subscribers on YouTube, which I guess in 2021 is a pretty big deal. Yeah. I don't know. I've read, I've read a lot of reports of people who are struggling to reach that threshold. And yeah, you know, I'm, I'm very thankful for, for that. And I'm more thankful especially for the opportunity thank you so much for having me on yeah man no it's been a pleasure sebastian shug thank you so much man have a good night you as well thank you
All right, folks. Well, that's going to do it for the show today. Thank you so much again to Sebastian Shug for stopping by. Again, his website, SebastianRShug.com. I'll have links for that in the show notes for you. I also want to thank Misha Zarens for the music for today's show. And of course, last but not least, thank you, listener. I'd also like to invite you to check out my other podcast, Pick Up Your Sticks, which is co-hosted by me and Brett Lindley. Pick Up Your Sticks is a podcast about video games, and we really try and talk about why gaming matters. You can find Pick Up Your Sticks on any podcast platform. Again, Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week. Stay up.